Yeah, so I'm, I'm just uh, starting some new work um, based on my work on T. Hume and the Edwardian uh, circle around the New Age journal. Um, and um, <coughs> I, um, so I just thought I'd try, try some ideas out. Um, and um, I, think, I think there's various angles I could take here with, with Hume. I could, I could talk about his uh, re revolt against positivism, uh, his, uh, his uh, horror at the idea of the conscious automata. He, he wrote about Huxley's essays on that, epiphenomenalism. But he also um, was involved with the New Age Journal, which was the Guild Socialist Journal. So he was working with socialists talking about um, kinds of pluralism. So uh, the idea that I was going to look at here was his collaboration with a writer called A.R. Araj, who was the editor of the New Age. So I'll, uh, I'll just uh, uh, move straight into, into this, these pictures. Yeah, here we go. There's Hume on the right and Araj on the left. And this is the journal that Araj edited called The New Age. <coughs> so... Um, uh, the idea at the heart of this project is the, um, the fact that the doctrine of original sin posed problems for modernist writers and artists who celebrated forms of liberation and progress. For some of them, uh, the notion was offensive and it at least needed reinterpretation to reconcile it with a spirit of vital, often sexual, creative energy. Yet for others, a creative, uh, conservative ethic could coexist with radical aesthetics. So I'm trying to survey some of these intersections and negotiations between orthodoxy and heresy in both the cultural and theological modernist fields. So um, we need, of course, to distinguish between the two meanings of the term modernism. Firstly, as used by Pope Pius X to refer to forms of theological liberalism, and secondly, as used by cultural historians to refer to revolutionary practice in the arts in the early 20th century. In some ways, the two categories overlap. In others, they differ significantly. Theological modernists, for example, George Terrell, Friedrich von Hugel, Edouard Leroy, and Maurice Blondel, seem to deny the reality of original sin or to redefine it in terms compatible with modern science to refer to forces impeding an imminent evolutionary divinity. And this was also an argument made by uh, Anglican theologians, there's a particular, particular guy called Frederick Tennant who made this argument, who Hume, I think, may have met at some point or overlapped with, but I'll come back to that. Um, meanwhile, um, so while these theological modernists were trying to explain original sin in, in evolutionary terms, cultural modernists in the arts were breaking with aesthetic convention, but often reimposing uh, their uh, own version of canonical law. Um, critics still struggle to expand a narrow canon of modernist writers uh, by, uh, for example, Eliot, Joyce, Wolfe and Pound. Eliot himself in After Strange Gods uh, in 1934 drew a distinction between orthodox writers among whom Eliot numbered himself and heretic liberals such as the romantic John Middleton Murray. A them and us division was being drawn, but if Eliot sought to establish a narrow modernism modelled on himself, he failed. Literary historians readily include left-wing liberal and atheist writers within an expanding modernist canon. This is not to deny the presence of a conservative religiosity alongside a radical liberalism at the heart of the modern movement. 
whether reworking or returning to the doctrine, artists and writers repeatedly drew on a Christian vocabulary, returning to an ingrained concept of ancient corruption and inherited evil. The legacy of Christian thought is a huge subject, and a vast literature has traced the descent of ideas from the book of Genesis through key passages in Paul and the theological debate running through the patristics Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, Luther, Calvin, and the Council of Trent. This study places itself among localised, more recent scholarly histories of the impact of the fall doctrine in modern thought. Homing in on the van der Sieck, it gives this narrower history a theoretic touchstone in Stephen Moorhall's 2005 work, Philosophical Myths of the Fall. Moorhall notes how the fall doctrine seems to underpin even the most radically atheistic of modern philosophies, notably Nietzsche's, pointing to the famous passage in the gay science that recounts the madman's declaration of the death of God, Mulhall suggests it is merely the restatement of fallenness and sin recapitulated in the crucifixion. Similarly, the genealogy of morals identifies a watershed moment when the ethic of self-sacrifice and abnegation overcame the earlier noble morality of virtue. In condemning the influence of the Christian fall, Nietzsche merely identifies another kind of fall experience in its place. In accounts that transgress or defy dogma, we find the fall narrative being replayed in different terms, and this is to be borne in mind in surveying the intellectual context of cultural modernism also. So um, there's a lot to say here on a, on a huge field, um, but I, I thought I'd home in for now on these two figures. The philosopher and modernist poet T.E. Hume, who claimed in 1912 that he believed in original sin he couldn't stand romanticism, and he was a certain kind of Tory. Uh, that was from 1912. Um, and on the other hand, you've got Arage, who, who wrote um, in 1911, the earth is the home for accident, and man is a fixed species. That is why perfection is as silly as happiness as a definition of the purpose of life. There will never be better men than there are, than there have been and are. Um, so... Um, the New Age was Arage's journal. He was the editor, and it was the most radical socialist journal of that period, the Edwardian period. Um, the strange thing is that, he, that Hume published most of his work there, and they spent a lot of time talking together and exchanging ideas. Um, so, you, you know, this is a bit of... This might be a puzzle, but it's, it's, it's one that a lot, lot of people have uh, uh, probably noticed in different ways. Raymond Williams in Culture and Society, uh, in the chapter entitled Interregnum, notes a convergence between one kind of conservative thinker and one kind of socialist thinker who seem to use the same terms not only for criticising a laissez-faire society but also for expressing the idea of a superior society. So um, I want to look at their, their, their common use of that original sin idea. Um, for Hume, it was perhaps shorthand for a political idea at first, traceable to the pessimistic anti-humanist ideology, uh, the tradition going, going through Thomas Hobbes, whose severity Hume contrasted with the optimism of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And it was as a synonym for this political idea that he first mentioned, uh, he talked about the constant state of mankind in articles, prompted, uh, on articles on Toryism prompted by the House of Lords crisis in 1911. Um, yet between 1911 and 1916, his use of the term changed from being an ingredient in a stylish intellectual cocktail of this sort into, into a sincere religious principle. Um, so there are two areas of overlap then. 
one in a resistance to, to liberalism, both of them were uh, opposed to the, liberal, to the liberal uh, policies of, the, of 1911, and the other was in a belief in original sin. Um, how did these, first, these patterns uh, first emerge? Well, it's, what is interesting is that Hume was one of the greatest um, supporters of Henri Bergson's vitalism in England. He promoted Bergson in lots of essays and translated Introduction to Metaphysics in 1912. Um, Arage dabbled in theosophy and occultism. He was a deeply spiritual writer. His, in the early part of his career, his biggest debt was perhaps to Edward Carpenter, who by 1911 was well known for his synthesis of Neoplatonic and Eastern religious ideas. Um, Arash's thought, under the influence of Carpenter, was strangely similar to Bergsonian vitalism. He talked about um, a similar uh, state of intuitive um, um, uh, access to, to uh, a higher level of consciousness. Um, so, so Arash was writing very similar things. He wrote a book called Consciousness, Animal, Human, and Superman, which is very similar to the introduction to metaphysics, both coming from different backgrounds. But what perhaps they have in common is that revolt against um, positivist liberalism. Uh, both of these writers are, are kind of attuned to the, um, the, the anti-positivism in Paris at the time, the... Um, the reaction against positivism, the, the popularity of Bergson's lectures is well known. Um, Jacques Maritain, uh, uh, of course, was very keen on Bergson at that time. And that... that Stopped him committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. And that moment... And his wife. Yes. They were going to kill themselves, and mm -hmm. then they went to Bergson. Incredible story. They were going to kill themselves. Yeah. I, think, I think that this is a, these are similar people, same generation. Yeah, amazing story. And, but then Maritain moves towards Catholic Catholicism. Um, and, and I think Hume, Hume was too, and in a way, Orage was. Um, so Orage is, is trading in a rhetoric of sin and redemption just at the moment that Hume is trying to place uh, original sin at the heart of the British avant-garde. He sees it as not, not just a philosophical idea at this time, but it's part of his aesthetic, it's part of his theory of poetry and painting, uh, which he wrote about a lot too. Um, so, um, so what, what happens? Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a change away from Bergson, away from vitalism. Um, by 1911, Hume had tired of this idea, because, partly because it, Bergson was so popular. There was a great vogue for Bergson, and Hume objected to this sort of... He, he thought people found it too easy to vi find divinity in the pulsations of the blood and this kind of intuitive substrata. Uh, to, to consciousness, um, and he was he, what he particularly disliked was the idea that people could discover something absolutely new, the secret of the universe. He, ha he wanted something a bit harder and more difficult. Um, Bergson or Bergsonianism offered a rapid, effortless return to to, to paradise. But like Maritain, Hume was drawn to Bergson as a form of spiritual escape, but demurred in pursuing this debased vitalism further. Um, he was horrified to think he might be suspected of that particular form of youthful enthusiasm that imagines it has come across the secret of the world for the first time. Arage, between 1911 and 1912, is also using a rhetoric which sounds quite conservative. And he has uh, certain phrases and ideas 
uh, about the hostility to Rousseau and abstract values of liberty, fraternity, equality, and human progress. Um, there's a harder pessimistic spirituality there coming through, despite his background reading Carpenter. Um, but Arash's emphasis was always on the difficulty of spiritual growth. He disliked the theosophist's glib notion of divine elevation by systematic degree, and he stressed the importance of mystery. Uh, following Carpenter, he saw a synthesis of Eastern and Western faiths founded on a Neoplatonic narrative of life that saw creation as divine energy entering matter as scattered shards of light, but always gravitating back to a heavenly source. And he compared this structurally to the fallen redemption in Christianity. Um, what, and then, of course, he takes that further and compares it to socialism. So it's the socialist goal of communal unity, a regathering of divided lives, is a bit like the redemptive process of regathering these scattered shards of divine energy. Uh, the shaking off of selfhood and the un unity of the one and the many, both spiritually and politically, is almost beyond articulation. Um, it's a kind of state of unknowing. And in fact, Evelyn Underhill published her translation of The Cloud of Unknowing in 1912. So that kind of mysticism was quite prevalent at that time. Um, so what, is, what does this mean politically? It means that so the socialist uh, what society that Araj imagined, the guild socialist society, was practically unimagin unimaginable, but it also had to be imagined. What, it, what we needed were myths of revolution as a means to motivate social and political progress. Um, enduring illusions, he wrote, which relatively to less enduring illusions we can practically regard as truths. The direct, the, um, so this, is, this, this chimes with pragmatic thinkers of the day, for example, William James's notion of the overbelief or the neo-Kantian philosopher Hans Weihinger's idea of the necessary assumption. It also chimes with George Sorrell's reflections on violence when he talks about the use of social myth to galvanise social progress. Uh, Araj was also deeply uh, interested in Nietzsche and he quoted, uh, he, he said, he, in, his, in, one, in one of his two books on Nietzsche, he wrote, as the sailor steers his ship by the fixed stars, so the mind of the world creates for itself intellectually fixed constellations by means of which directions of movement might be calculated. He does not deny either the value or the necessity of idealism, but only their reality. So this is the basis of, of Arage's conservatism, and G.K. Chesterton, in his obituary for Arage, described him as being emancipated from emancipation, which <laughs> captures that, that he's, gone beyond, so he's gone beyond the radical and the socialist to something else. Um, so um, looking back on his political writing, Arage wrote, what, how, how, what, why, what does every system need? He says, it's quite simply God. There could be no religion in the absence of God though there may be God in the absence of religion. Religion I venture to define as the attempt to establish an ideal and conscious relation between man and God. I suppose the question uh, is, is, are these ideas potentially risky? Uh, some of these writers in Arash's circle were drawn to Italian fascism, that kind of pragmatic route towards totalitarianism. Um, there were Italian, Italian Nietzschean philosophers, Papini and Prezzolini, were playing with ideas of the man-god at this time. Uh, the conservative Spanish writer, Ramiro de Mesti, was a close friend of both Hume and Arage. He saw himself as a guild socialist, but others considered him a fascist, and he was shot by Republicans in the early days of the Spanish Civil War. But there, are, there is another group who interests me, and uh, these include Christian pluralists, Maurice Reckitt, 
Philippe Meret, Vigo de Mont, and the Christendom group who came out of that New Age circle. And um, Reckitt, in his 1939 autobiography, wrote that with the first reading of Virage in 1909, a decisive phase of my political education began. With a conscious effort to maintain this political tradition 30 years later, it continues. And of course, Reckitt later established the Christendom Trust, which then had a part to play in, in, in more recent theological uh, movements, radical orthodoxy, I think. Um, they sponsored Milbanks for a good way. Yes, yes. Um, so the direct lineage of ideas going back to this Edwardian world can be seen evolving through the 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, relevant here is the inevitability of social conflict, human frailty, sin. Uh, so maybe you can draw out of that a kind of political agonism. Um, so, of course, there are exact or direct connections may not be necessary. Ideologies connect, differ, and evolve in various ways. Certain elements recur over time. It is fair to conclude, though, perhaps, that the traces of this of human Araj's belief in, in the fall, informing a kind of pluralism, remain important to contemporary thought, a legacy that I uh, hope to explore elsewhere. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.